Let's let the Holy Spirit just speak as he will. I want to suggest to you that one way to understand the love of God, to appreciate it, is to try to estimate the price that he paid to redeem us from our sins. Because when you see the price that God was willing to pay, it gives you some faint idea of the measure of his love. And I'm going to use these two parables as a way of depicting the love that God has, the price that his love caused him to pay to redeem us from our sins. Now, I want to suggest to you that tonight we're going to view Jesus as the man that made the purchase. You know that the word to redeem means to buy back. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Let's try and fill in the background a little. So for who knows how many centuries, that treasure was lying there in that field. And then one day this man in the parable was walking across the field and he stumbled over something, kicked his toe against it. At first he thought it was just one of the countless rocks that are scattered over that land. But when he looked down, he saw that it was the corner of a chest that had been buried under the soil. And so, prompted by curiosity, he began to get below the surface, see what was there, and he managed to prise open a little corner of the lid, and he saw incredible wealth, gold, silver, jewels, and he realized that was hidden there in the field. Well, he knew that if he wanted legitimate ownership of that wealth, he had to do one thing. What was that? He had to buy the field. Once he owned the field, he owned the treasure, you see? Well, he inquired about the price of the field, and everybody wondered really why he wanted to buy that field, because it had never been a very productive field. It mainly produced thistles and but the, the owner of the field wanted a monstrous price and he wouldn't come down. So this man, because he wanted the treasure, said, well, I'll pay the price. And when he worked it out, it meant he had to sell everything he had. <laughs> I can picture him going home to his wife, saying, honey, we're gonna buy that field. That field? What do you want that field for? Nothing ever grew in. Oh, but I want that field. Well, how much are you going to pay? Well, he named the son. Where are you going to get the money? We're going to sell everything we have. We're going to sell the house. We're going to sell the furniture. We're going to sell the farm. We're going to sell our implements. We're going to sell our animals. We're going to sell our spare clothing. You must be crazy. Whatever for. You wait. You'll understand. So he sold the whole of all that he owned and had just the money that he needed to buy the field. 
when he bought the field and got all the legal deeds absolutely tied up, then he said to his wife, now come, and I'll show you why I bought the field. And he began to dig down, and he came to the chest, prized open the lid, and she gasped at the incredible treasures that were in that chest. The treasure in the field is God's foreknown people buried in this world. Matthew 13 says more than once, the field is the world. Jesus died for the whole world, but he didn't want the world. What did he want? The treasure in the world. What is the treasure? God's people. But in order to get the treasure, he had to buy the field. Buying the field cost him everything. It cost him all he had. He died with nothing. He was buried in a borrowed burial robe and in a borrowed tomb. And on his way to the tomb, he had poured out the last drop of his lifeblood. It cost him everything. It seemed crazy. What did he see in us? That he would pay so much.
transformed by the grace of God until something awesomely and spiritually and supernaturally happens in your life. No, you cannot, he says, and there is not, not a single word in the Bible that says otherwise. The reason a transformation must, must take place is because when Adam and Eve sinned, they were estranged from God. How were they estranged from God? By disobedience. Disobedience is a willful transgression of a commandment. The commandment of God, the very first commandment uttered by God to man was given to Adam, said, you can eat of all the fruits in the garden, of the trees and the fruits of the garden, but of this tree you cannot eat because in the day you, do, you eat thereof, you will surely die. That was the commandment. And since the commandment was disobeyed, man fell into sin because they partook of the knowledge of a tree of good and evil that God commanded not to eat. What we sometimes fail to realize here is that Eve was the was not on the scene when God gave the commandment to Adam. In other words, God gave the commandment and then he began to create all the, uh, bir the birds, the animals and all that. And Adam, uh, they would pass before him and he would name them all. He gave them names. When I think about how wonderful that is, that Adam named every single animal, it gives me just whole, I, I, I find evolution very, very repulsive to think that we, we originated from, well, I can't go into details, but that is so preposterous. God, God created man in his own image and likeness. And Adam began to name every, every single animal was given a name by Adam. And so after that, when there was nothing suitable for uh, Adam as a companion, God caused Adam it's not good that man should be alone. And he caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And out of his side, he took a rib and made woman. And so what, what, what we have here is that sometimes or another, Adam had told Eve, this is what God does not want us to do. In other words, he does not want us to eat of this tree. But as we know, she was uh, beguiled by the serpent. And through disobedience, they both fell from grace. 
Now we know that the disobedience of Adam and Eve caused the fall of mankind from that time on to the present. However, right then and there in the Garden of Eden, God instituted the plan of salvation immediately after the fall of Adam and Eve. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I will put enmity, God talking to the serpent, the devil, and saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In this particular verse right here, God is talking about sending his son into the world to redeem mankind back to himself. This, of course, is referring to him, God's son, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. That came about 2,000 years ago or so on the hill called Golgotha. Amen? Amen. In this, of course, is a, refer is a referring of God sending his only begotten son into the world to redeem us back to himself. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, in other words, world and we all so that as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners even so by the obedience of one man Jesus shall many be made righteous the Bible says thank God for the obedience set before him he endured the cross, despising the shame thereof, and is now set in the right hand of God. He rejoiced, you know, somewhere only Christ could see the end result. As the Bible says, God is the only one that could declare the end from the beginning and foresee things that we cannot. And so he rejoiced because he was able to look across the eons of time and see the faces of all people who would be saved because of what he did on that cruel cross. And among those faces, he saw your face, Brother Ernie, Wharf, Brother Danny, he saw your face. He saw all our faces, including mine. Can you believe that? <laughs> Praise God that he saw us, and that's why he rejoiced. Praise God. Staying with the theme of our lesson, why must there be a transformation in a person's life after they've Encounter, they've encountered or have come to God. 
Here's a few reasons. The first and foremost, God is holy. We as fallen creatures have no means of attaining to an iota of holiness outside the redemptive plan of salvation by Christ's blood, which he shed on the cross. God is light. We are in darkness, or in our case, that we were in darkness. But we are in darkness, and we remain in darkness until we come to the light. Isn't that what the apostle Peter and Paul said? Peter said, but everybody, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people who God has called out out of darkness into his marvelous light. When we come to God's light, we enter into fellowship with God. That light is the transforming love of God. For the Bible says, what fellowship has light with darkness? There cannot be any fellowship with God if a person is in darkness. That is, uh, to me, and it should be to all of us, first grade math or whatever you want to call it. You were transformed by that light. I was transformed by that light. Mr. Tyre was transformed by that light. Who is Mr. Tyre? Mr. Tyre is my friend Dwayne's neighbor. I was looking to present somebody that was really mean, and I couldn't find anybody for some reason. And we went out to breakfast, and one thing led to another, and then somehow his neighbor came in our conversation. His neighbor was mean. When you talk to him, you'll, you'll, you'll notice that he'll go like that, and once he chew tobacco, and he, when you talk to him, he, he just wants to spit that tobacco in your face. That's how mean he was. He abused his wife. And that little old faithful woman, be, you know, just kept praying for him and kept praying for him and kept praying for him, just as we all pray for our loved ones. And one day, God's transforming love got a hold of this man. And as mean as he was, he was totally transformed to the point that you just want to, you, know, you just want to ask him, that, who are you? I know you, I know how you used to be, what happened to you? But that is what the transforming power of God's love does to a person. Does everyone come to God in that fashion? I would think not. We come to God in all kinds of situation, circumstances, and all that. But no matter what, there must be a transformation. He, the Bible says that in fact, a new creature, all things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. If there is no transformation, if there's no change, that person's salvation 
could be classified as questionable. So Mr. Mr. Uh, Hire was not the same person. And there's many people that I've encountered and you've encountered. The Dwayne was telling me about a biker that was also so mean and how he got beat up one day and he came to, somehow his wife got him to come to church. And he came with his face all swollen up. And he could, he could hardly see. And God knocked him flat down on his face. He got saved. And by mirac miraculously, his face like receded and his eyes opened up and he could see. And he had a real quick, almost quite miraculous recovery from whatever happened to him from that beating he received. I would like to say again what I have said in the past. I have said it in the past. I have witnessed it's a good it's a good witness to share with others that any dead fish can swim downstream. It takes no effort for any dead fish to swim downstream. Well, he's not even swim, swimming, but he's just going with the current. It, yeah, just floating along. It takes a live fish to swim upstream. I mean, you talk about, there's, there's a lot of fish that swim upstream, but the salmon is the best. <laughs> I mean, they will, you know, I don't care if there's a, a small fall or what, they'll, they'll still jump upstream to go back to the original place of spawning. I, th I think that's amazing myself. But it's, it's, it's so easy for a person to float along with the world in reference to the dead fish and basically become a loser, get hung up on drugs, get hung up on alcohol, get hung up on gambling, and you name it. It's easy to do that. And that's why I love this analogy, because it takes a real man, a real woman, a real young lady, young man, even boys. Brother Kitchens, who knows Brother Kitchens here? Brother Kitchens was converted at 12 years old and shortly thereafter began to preach. And they were transformed, all these get transformed by the love of God and become productive members of society. If all the efforts that goes on right now into total loss, I mean, vandalizing and stealing cars and uh, drugs trafficking and all this, if that were somehow turned around, and it has been, there's been many that have been converted of all member of society. So yes, it does take a real man, boy, woman, girl to be a Christian. Being Christian 
is not all cakewalk, so to speak. The Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us that those who would live godly, I believe it says must. I think the word is must suffer or will suffer persecution. I don't know about you, but I've encountered quite a few, uh, quite a bit of persecution in my Christian life. But I tell you what, the most moving testimony I've ever gave is after, a, I believe it was 41 years at the time, it's now 43 or 44, but Brother Young was here, and I gave a testimony. It's going to be 41 years this month. It's May, right? Yeah, May. I know it was two months ago, March 28th, that I was uh, being baptized. But, uh, it, you know, I have had times in my Christian walk where I ran, and I ran half back, and I ran halfway, and then I said, but there's been times And then I got down on all fours, about right here where Victor is sitting, and I said, there's been times where I had to crawl. Excuse me, I must demonstrate. I crawled, and I crawled as long as it took. I said, okay, Bob, give me your hand. Because we do not walk alone in this life in this Christian life. God is with us. God is with us. We must, th those who would live godly will suffer persecution. But thank God, thank God that Christ said, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And so we, like Paul, can boldly declare, I know in whom I believe and persuaded. We must be persuaded of the words of Jesus. I will never leave you or forsake you. And then persuaded that he is able, more than able, he is well able to keep that. What? We have committed our souls to his keeping. Am I right? So the words Paul says, he is able to keep that which I've committed into his hands. Just glory be to God. Just think about it. Jesus said, Father, of those you have given, given to me, he says, I have lost nothing. You can count on Jesus that begun in each one of our hearts. The work in our heart is he is able to complete it until the very day we stand before him. Be it by death or be it by rapture. Praise God. Praise God. But the transforming love of God must get a hold of a person and change him. Otherwise, he cannot change himself. You become a new creature in Christ 
because of God's transforming love. Praise God. We must be conscientious about the time. Brother Willie would always give me a signal. <laughs> so we, uh, we, uh, uh, gone. let me read this. Uh, let me, let me read this. Be, you know, because, because we're in, in the last days, and in the last days, things will intensify. Paul talking to young Timothy says, as I told you, as I quoted that scripture many times tonight, yeah, and all that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And as he goes on to say that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But thanks be to God for the transforming love and grace. Thanks be to God for his promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And by faith, as I said, we can declare the, uh, of the, of the, uh, of Paul's, uh, what I just quoted uh, a while ago about us committing ourselves into him until Paul said, for this reason, I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. Until that day, we have not been left comfortless. That's Jesus taught to that either. I will not leave you comfortless, he said but I will send the Holy Spirit. And we have the Holy Ghost with us to help us with any of these uh, trials and tribulations. But what I love about that is that he gives us of his fruit, which is love, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, gentleness, goodness, Faith, meekness, temperance against such. There is no law. God, thank God for his transforming love. I know that I was transformed by the love of God to the point where I was born again. Talk about being born again. To find out about the love of, 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 of God through Christ Jesus, I remember going outside the very next day after I gave my heart to God, and I began to feel the leaves on the trees. Everything was wonderful. Everything doesn't stay wonderful, but at, at that time, everything was wonderful, especially the regenerating power of God. All right, let us go into the questions right now. And we're going to go with the first question. What is the primary reason that follows being justified by faith? What is the final result? Didn't I say result? Oh, I said reason. No, the primary result that, uh, that follows being justified by faith. Uh, 
very good, Sister Pat. That's, that's, that's exactly how it goes. Being justified by faith, we now have peace with God. Thank you, Sister. Who give, uh, uh, question, that was question number one under A. Uh, B says, who gives us access to the blessing? Lord Jesus Christ, ta-da. Thank you. Jesus Christ. Jesus, give us Grab a hold of that. Amen. Anybody else? For through him we both, meaning both Jews and Gentiles, have been granted access to the Father by one spirit is what Brother Question number three. What else has Jesus anyone he would never leave us or forsake us we, we have all the promises of God and I tell you what you can if God promised it you can hang your head go ahead brother Paul explains in Ephesians 2.12 that we as Gentiles were without hope. Hope is provided. In the justification, we have hope that we as Gentiles were without. And he tells us that we would do well to remember this. That's the... That's the uh, uh, that's Paul. He says, you will do to remember this. Remember that at time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We are saved by hope. I don't know if you knew that. Ephesians chapter 2, I believe, verse 1 says, we are saved by hope. Hope that is seen will hope. But why would a man hope for something if he sees it? Boy, I wish I had a guitar, man. Well, there is one right there. So why would I hope for a guitar? There's one right there. That's just an example. Question number four. A further study, scripture teaches. God intended 
for man to possess both peace with God and peace and the peace of God. Paraphrasing the paraphrase the following verses and note which kind of peace they are referring to. What are we what are we talking about when we're talking about the peace of God? We have peace with God and then the peace of God. Brother Dave. We're no longer at war with God. We're no longer at We war. have a peace treaty through Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Very good. Very good. And uh, and I believe uh, was was it already stated this evening that the peace of God you know surpasses all understanding. When 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 you consider some things that have taken place in in Christians life especially martyrs this is something that the world does not understand. Stephen, the very first martyr after the death of I mean after Christ had ascended into heaven, said, "Father, forgive them." This is something that the world cannot understand. The peace that we have. Yes, amen. Amen. We have hope and we have peace with God. Isaiah 48. This is quite uh, under A. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. You, maybe Sister Elizabeth might want to comment on this. Having not having peace out there without God. You may think you have it, but you don't. Anything there, Sister Elizabeth? So for Isaiah 48, because uh, it said to paraphrase these things, I wrote there is no rest for the wicked. And I said uh, that this applies to both because if you are being intentionally wicked, you're not going to have peace with God. You're an enemy of God. And you're certainly not going to have the peace of the Holy Spirit because you're not honoring God at all. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? That was in Isaiah 48:22, Luke 2:14 says glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward man the peace that comes to this world is Christ in us it does not it, it did not come to the world it's not in the world out there the world doesn't know peace they will only Talk about peace. Meanwhile, there's war springing on every side. And, and I can't believe, I, I, I'm still in disbelief that the Romanian war with the Russians is still going on. It's been over a year now. 
a year and a, going on a year and a half. But the world does not know about the peace that we have, do they? I don't think so. They try. Go ahead, brother. Yeah. No, no, no. You're you're good. Cut me anytime. In the world, you will have tribulation. And this is what's going on in the world. There's nothing but tribulation. And then they will promise peace, peace, peace. And never deliver, actually. In John 14, 27, Christ says this. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives. This is a beautiful scripture. Not as the world gives, do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. If you put that together with that scripture that says, We have the peace of God. The world does not. So don't let your heart be troubled. He says, neither let it be afraid. Under these, Ephesians 2, 11 to 14, wherefore remember that at times you Gentiles in the flesh call the circumcision by what is called the circumcision. In other words, Jews calling Gentile uncircumcised, and so on, which is made in the flesh by hand. Remember that you separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having hope, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our, is, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the middle wall of, of tradition. Anybody would like to, uh, the, the middle wall of hostility. Anybody would like to comment on that? We're talking about Christ making peace with God for us on the cross. That at the time that this happened, whereas prior to that, there was no direct access to God. Like the priest. Today we have direct access to the Father because when Christ said it is finished. He, uh, the Bible uh, tells us that the veil 
that the high priest went behind to enter the holiest of holies. Torn in twain, in two. Now we have direct access to God. Praise God forever. Amen. We have Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Praise God. Going on with the questionnaire, Romans 5, verses 3 and 4, the result of difficulties. What attitude does Paul suggest in the face of of difficulties, of difficult circumstances. Anybody would like to comment on that? Go ahead, Brother Irving. Since we have been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that the suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces endurance or, or patience. In, uh, patience produces character. See, when God lets us go through stuff, it's always to our benefit. Spiritual growth. Amen. Patience produces character, and character produces hope. Question number six. How do you think that attitude, that attitude compares to the world's reaction to difficulties? Quiet, Sister Elizabeth, please. Uh, the world wallows in its struggles where Christians are caused to, called to pray through it or praise through it and praise through it. Um, we're supposed to, even though we're suffering and things can be really, really bad, we're supposed to still give him glory and we're supposed to still talk to him. And um, to kind of piggyback off of that idea, um, I was discussing that with my husband last night, that specific question. And I said, uh, a lot of people forget too that when you're talking to God, yes, he wants you to praise him, and yes, he wants you to pray to him, but he would also rather have you come to him with your complaints than not talk to him at all. I like that. I like Little extra thought on that one. <coughs> I mean, isn't that wonderful? Yes. That even we still turn to God. Remember the little girl I told you about that the mother was walking. Yes, she had two little kids and one of the girls, it had just rained and she slipped and fell. Well, we're going to fall in our Christian walk. But, uh, you know, she didn't run 
this way or that I'm, I'm standing on a, at, at a stop sign observing all this. And I shared this with Brother Ernie uh, last week, last Wednesday, and the girl didn't do, didn't hesitate one bit. No sooner she got up, she ran to her mother. Ah, oh, gee, I wonder why. Well, where else can we run when we encounter difficulties, as Sister Elizabeth just alluded? We run to God. Amen. 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 We run to God. We don't run in the other direction. No. By the way, I want you to know the Lord spoke to me right then and there. And I love this. People are totally baffled when we tell them that God spoke to me. You know, spoke to us, spoke, you know, to you or me or Brother Ernie or Sister Elizabeth, Brother Dave, Brother Mark. They wonder what. He speaks through our conscience, but our conscience has to be purged from dead works. And then we can we hear the voice of God. We don't hear the voice of God enough, and sometimes we don't hear the voice of God clearly. But I, go ahead, go ahead. That's why he says, be still. Be still and know that I am God. And so God spoke to me. He says, Bob, you see that little girl? He says, I want you to run to me every time that happens to you. I go, yes, Lord, I will. And I have. Praise God. The world does not know the peace that we have. They will turn to different things. And it, it's, it's just, somebody give me an adjective. When, when they turn to alcohol and, and drugs, looking for peace, these are all denial. I said, somebody denial. give me some words here. They're, they're just, they just Brother, know what's going on. Exactly. Which one are you going to take? Because from what I understand and what I've been through, and me and Brother Dave have talked about this, I've done left and I've done right. And I, and I you know, disregarded the straight path. So it's about the individual, amen? It's amen. about what you're going to do. But he gives us that right to at least come to him and make that. You, you can't you can't drink away your troubles you can't use enough drugs to drown your worries none of that will do it's all it it, it, it may provide you with temporary relief but it from from time to time you will grow worse and worse. Only the peace of God and the love of God can satisfy the longing in your heart. 
And in, I may add here that this is the reason people turn to these beggarly elements of this world as the Bible calls them because it is in man to worship God. This is how man was created. And until they come to the creator, they will turn to other means to try to appease what is wrong, what, what the longing that they have in their heart. And it never works until glory be to God, until you come to Christ. Amen. This is Amen. what makes, makes the difference. Question number seven. What three characteristics does difficulty produce in a believer? We just share them. Patience. Grace. Grace. Very good. Character. Patience. Character. And hope. What is a man without hope? Oh, I wish I had a half hour right now to share how, but I, I will be very brief. I was without hope. When you realize that you're lost and undone without God, you realize that you're totally hopeless. Yep. And to have no hope, I can tell you firsthand, it is the most terrifying state of being that you can ever be. I have never experienced such emptiness, such despair, being without God. And this is when, this is why I say when God saved me and delivered me, I went outside to feel the leaves in the trees. I was born again. And now I have hope, thank God. So endurance or patience, character and hope, the confidence, the confident expectation of God, of what God has promised. Praise God. Going on, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, the impact of hope. What additional benefit does hope bring? Take that, brother. Unity. Anybody else? When Paul talked about all these, about uh, hope, faith, and love, the greatest of these is love. Who makes this benefit possible? God, God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The scripture says so, God who demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, he, gave, he sent his only begotten son to die for us in our stead. 
I still, I still think that was a great uh, little treasure that God gave me about um, the substitutional sacrifice of Christ for us. That the judgment, the, the, the judgment of God should have been upon us and instead it was placed on Christ. Of all the benefits, oh, that was A. B says, who makes this benefits, uh, benefit possible? God, who demonstrated his love. We already read that. Question number nine. Of all the benefits that are, uh, that are the, what are the results of justification? Which one means the most to you and why? Yes, sir. Peace with God. This is what we're talking about. The ability to lay down at night without a care in the world. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know that you're in good hands. Right. Yeah. You know that you have nothing to worry about. Uh-huh. Amen. Amen. Before, before I had peace with God, I was worried when I would, when I lay down at night. I was worried about where would I end up if I died tonight. That used to bother me. Anybody can, to, to some that don't know God, this may see, uh, this prob- probably seems very strange. But once you have been transformed by the love of God, it will no longer be a mystery to you. Right. You will understand it. Yep. Especially, as the Bible says, to follow on and know him. The sanctifying power of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ is, this is a totally new message. We could, we could uh, spend the rest of the evening just on this one question. But to be sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ brings extreme joy and peace. This is where the, the the Bible says when they were sanctifying, they returned, you know, the tur- returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Praise God. How Number 10, how has God poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Ghost? Yes, Sister Hilda. He chose us to be his. Uh, adopting us as his children. With this act, God covers us with his love, encourages us to be more like Jesus until he's ready to call us home to be with him. Amen. Anyone else? Yes, Brother Ernie. Yes, amen. It is, uh, in an overwhelming way, it is only through the Holy Spirit that we are able to comprehend or grasp the overwhelming love that God has given to us. 
not just a drip, but an overwhelming. I had to call Brother Kenny. Does, quite a few of us know Brother Kenny Holland. Mm -hmm. I had to call him. I said, can you help me out with this question? Because I couldn't, you know, write anything down. And this is what he shared with me. He says, it is only through the Holy Spirit that we are able to comprehend or grasp the overwhelming love of God that God has given us. He said, not just a drip, but an overwhelming, outpouring love, an absolute outpouring. Only this kind of love can bring about a transformation in the person. Hence the title of this lesson, The Transforming Love of God. Do you know that this verse, this, this transforming love of God is exactly what Jesus was telling Nicodemus? Unless you be born again. In other, in other words, un unless you're transformed and born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. Praise God. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, God's unmerited gift. What does Galatians 4, 4 tells us about the right time? But when the fullness of time had come, at the end of one age and at the beginning of another, in other words, at the end, at the time God deemed right, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption and be his children and become his children. Verse 12, what words does Paul use to describe our condition when, uh, when Christ died for us? Yes. Sure. And, he, and we were also powerless, unable to help ourselves in Amen. our sin situation. So the car, all the cards were stacked against us. Yes. Where were we? That we were, they were yet sinners and enemies of God and all the other stuff that Brother Ernie named. We're, we, we were enemies of God. How accurate do you find Paul describing uh, the description of us in Romans 10, verses 4 through 6? The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek God. God is not in his thoughts. Man's ways are grievous, the Bible says, 
His judgments are far above, out of his sight. For as we are his enemies, we as enemies we sneer at them. The uh, I like what brother brother uh, Dave said. We we couldn't do anything to help ourselves. And the Bible calls it straightforward. He said, no one seeks God. And there's none righteous, not one. So it is all God's doing. And why is it all God's doing? Jesus himself said it. He turned to his disciples and said, without me, ye could do nothing. We are... 100% dependable on God. And I don't mind it at all. And, and, and it'll be foolish for any one of us to say, I can handle this, or I can do this, or I could do that. Do you know what I'm saying? The reason for that is because God is too great. His love is so great. His judgments are so just. His holiness and all the, all the other attributes, he said that no flesh, no one can make one single vote and declare that you have something on your own. You have attained to something on your own. No. We are totally dependent. He said that no flesh shall glory in his presence. And that's why Paul, as I shared in my last lesson, last lesson is this, what have you that you did not receive? When it comes to the plan of salvation, what do you have that you did not receive from God? Everything that we have, we receive from God. It's almost like when you had a baby, you didn't have it. Exactly. Because, you know, a tiny baby can't feed itself. It can't bathe itself. It mother don't take care of it. It'll die. And this is the next question. In what way is man powerless? All we just said of all this time. He is powerless because of his inability to do anything to change his sinful nature that he or she is born in. That is why man should embrace the redemptive plan of God's salvation through his son and, our, and not by any other means. Mm -hmm. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he is the only way. No one. He declared that no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And, and, and when you consider these things, if God is truth, he is absolute truth. If God is the way, he is the absolute way. If he is the life, he is the absolute life. 
we are powerless. In what way is man powerless? In every way, because no flesh shall glory in his presence. I'd like to say something here because I believe don't ever allow the enemy to deceive you and make you boast of something pertaining God and the plan of salvation. Are you recording? I, I couldn't see it, Victor. I can't see that good. Anyways, we are uh, in verse 14. Use the dictionary to answer the following. What does being justified means to you? Anybody? If not, I, I would like to expound on this. Here's what justify, being justified through faith means to me. Paul speaks about a woman and a man, but he's not speaking about divorce and remarriage. And he says if a woman is married, she is bound by the law. If she decides to go off and leave her husband and marry another, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. Keep that in mind, what I just finished reading. She is free from the law. The intention of Paul here is not to expound on divorce and remarriage. As I said, he is using this as an analogy about justification. Death ends every person's responsibility to the law. I want you to get this, please. In Galatians 2.20, Paul declares himself dead by saying, I am crucified with Christ. And nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Paul, Paul's point is, and is saying, we died in Christ. Isn't that what the crucifixion caused Christ? But he rose again. But Paul says, we are crucified with Christ. That means we died as well. We as Christians identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Just as Jesus died, he died for all who believe in him. Which means that if we died with him, listen to this, the responsibility, our responsibility to the law is over. W, I mean, O, V, E, R, our responsibility. To the, so what, are you, what am I getting, uh, uh, trying to say here? So Paul, likewise, my brethren, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So that you may be married to another, which is Christ. You understand what this is saying? Who has been raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. What this is saying is, 
we in the United States have, uh, I don't know if it's called the law of uh, double jeopardy or just jeopardy. Is it double jeopardy? In other words, you cannot be tried for the same crime, from the same crime twice. If you had been if you had been acquitted, am I right? Right. We have been acquitted by Christ. He satisfied the payment. He paid the price by 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 dying. So if we identify with Him, our responsibility to the law is over. Our sin, we cannot be tried for our sins again. That's what, that's what the substitutionary offering of Christ on the cross did for us. Where are we? B. What does being reconciled mean to you? I put down to be brought uh, back to life from dead. Isn't that what happened to us? Born we dead in trespasses and sin? Mm -hmm. And you had he quickened? Yep. That's what the word of God says. You had he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. What are some of the benefits we have as a result of being justified, uh, uh, being reconciled? I'm sorry. Again, we 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 have that scripture that says it very well. We have peace with God. When when I, I like what I you know sometimes the Holy Spirit helps us utter things you know. So the last time I, in one of the lessons, I, can you imagine people standing, I mean, uh, every one of us standing and somebody, you know, oh, my, he, he was this way and he's that way. I know Bob, he used to do this. He, he drank, he smoked. Ah, but the, the, the day that we come to Christ, oh, all that is wiped clean. His, his sins are not only forgiven us, but they are wiped out from God's memory. And so I could picture this. And I don't know what you're talking about, but there he is. Uh, he knelt down, and I forgave him all his sins, so... <laughs> Your accusations don't stand. Praise God. Peace with God. Peace with God. Amen. Read Romans 5.11. What should characterize our attitude as a result of being reconciled? This is the last question. I'm going to entertain some answers. Sister Linda. We are... We are, we are uh, we're free, to, we're free to go. Sister Elizabeth had to go. Anybody wants to go, they can go. Well, what's the last question? The last question? That was, yeah, that was the last question. That was the last question. Well, 
Reread Romans 11. What should, our character, what should characterize our attitude as a result of being reconciled? First of all, we should be thankful. Yes. 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 You should be grateful. Brother Bernie. Oh, yeah, giving glory to God. Oh, yeah. <coughs> giving glory to God. <coughs> to God be the glory. Mm -hmm. For all that he has done. Amen. Thank you, Brother Ernie. That was good. To give God the glory. Anyone else? Pastor, would you like to comment on the last question? What should characterize our attitude as a result of being reconciled? Okay. Welcome to our... God bless you. I really appreciate this. Um, oftentimes, I have to stop and resume the next day on these studies because my eyes just not. In other words, I start without glasses, my, my reading glasses. And then my eyes would get tired, I will put my reading glasses on. And then after a while, <coughs> we're talking you know, all day long. And after a while, the prescription glasses don't help it. So I say, okay, I have to stop and resume the next day. But uh, we are what we are by the grace of God.